Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Kei te whakarongo mai koe ki tō tātou au hurihuri. He hōtaka e pāna ki tō tātou au whānui. You're with our changing world on RNZ National. And now, Rickerton Bush and its lasting legacy. Many of you will know the Deans family from rugby, but there is also a green side to Canterbury's earliest settlers. Back in the 1870s, the Deans decided to preserve the last remnant of a kahikatea floodplain forest in Canterbury, quite possibly one of the earliest conservation efforts. Veronica catches up with Joanna Orwin, the author of A History of the Deans Family, to find out about Rickerton Bush and what this green space means to the people of Christchurch today. We're just coming in, in through the entrance through the predator-free fence. So you're wearing an, an open airlock um, with one door shut and the other one waiting to be opened. And we're hearing birdsong. We're looking through into the bush and can see the dense undergrowth that's grown in the last 20 years with the efforts to get rid of the weeds and restore the, the forest back to something nearer to its natural state. Well, we're sitting in the Kahikatea Grove, right in the middle of Rickerton Bush, and we're looking at half a dozen magnificent Kahikatea tree, which of course is the tallest New Zealand native tree, the tallest and um, one of the longest living as well. These trees are between three and 600 years old, and they are the survivors of the last cycle of Kahikatea forest, floodplain Kahikatea forest on the site. And there has been this type of forest on the site for the last 3,000 years. And when you say the end of that cycle or the last survivors of that, the end came about through the end interference for, by people? Yes, but well, not just interference by people, but because it is the last remnant, it is isolated. In fact, its Māori name possibly reflects that. Pūturinga mortal can mean the severed air is one interpretation. The great fire of Tamatea that destroyed most of the forest on the plains that's in Māori legend, this was one of the remnants of forest left. And because it's isolated from the standard pattern of, of continual flooding, renewal of forest on different sites, it's a remnant and it can't proceed in its normal fashion and of course now it's completely surrounded by a city that also means that its natural process is uh, yeah, compromised. So you could say these are the last naturally established generation of trees from that 3,000 years of process but the Rickerton Bush Trust 50 years ago did plant another cohort of kahikatea which are now seeding naturally so, you know, there will be another generation of, of kahikatea here, but inevitably this forest is now partially natural, partially managed by people. When the Dean's family arrived, were they drawn to this particular place because of the bush? Because of the bush, in the same way that Māori had before them, being one of the last sources of timber 
and of course with the Avon River running alongside freshwater timber shelter. Uh, it was a natural spot to choose on the plains, which by then were tussock and fern mostly after all the fires. That um, The two Dean's brothers, William and John, who settled here in 1843, were very aware of the value of the bush. And when the Canterbury settlers arrived, um, the site chosen because of their presence here with their farm that already after seven years was being very successful, half the bush was actually given to the settlers for their use. The other half was retained by the Deans brothers because of it was one of the few sources of timber um, and firewood on the plains. The settler half disappeared within a year of the settlement of Christchurch, which made the Deans brothers even more aware of the importance of hanging on to what they had. And that was their whole philosophy, even right from the start. While they did have to use timber, they only used dead wood um, for firewood. And once the houses were built, both here and the original houses at Homebush out in the Malvern Hills, they actually restricted the use of timber from the forest to fence posts and from fallen trees. So they consciously preserved as much as they could of the forest right from the start. And John Deans, who died in 1854, it was his dying wish that what was left of the forest should be preserved as much as possible. But back then it had not been gifted to the city or no, no formal protection. No, like its that. formal protection didn't happen until 1914. But in the meantime, Jane Deans, who's a major player in the story, uh, was very aware of the need to look after the bush. And for the 20 years that she was responsible for the estate management, she made a big effort to preserve the bush to the extent of planting gaps but she didn't plant with natives because she was finding though she was a great tree planter, it was one of her passions, that um, she planted with things like oaks and gums because they were easier to grow. Her philosophy was that it was necessary to maintain the canopy and she wasn't not being an ecologist and this was the 18, you know, up to the 1870s. Already by 1880 she was acknowledging that it was a mistake that the oak trees and the other exotic trees were actually suppressing regrowth of native plants. So she was aware. So they planted oaks in all the gaps and there was a very big natural gap in the middle of the forest that was probably a fire not long before the Deans brothers arrived. But they also planted a great boundary of oak trees, thinking that the opening of the forest on its margins, that um, it was probably becoming wind-prone, but of course Kahikatea tree are one of the less wind-prone of any natives because of their massive root structures. So the Deans were aware that the oaks and things had been a mistake, but they weren't removed until after the bush was gifted in 1914, which was by her grandson, another John Deans. And, um, and the Rickerton Bush Trust was set up at that stage to manage the bush. I think over the next 30 or 40 years, they did remove all the oaks from the gaps in the forest, but the oaks on the boundaries remained to the 70s and 80s and were eventually felled at that time, the 1970s and 80s. So 100 years after they'd been planted, which, of course, for some people was the wrong thing to do. There was some controversy. Even a tree sit <laughs> for the last 50, I think, yes. So back to perhaps the approach to this patch of bush now. It is now run by the trust, belongs yes. to the city. Yes. So it is one of the 
green spaces and retreats really for Christchurch. Yes, today. it is one of the important green spaces in Christchurch. It's used a lot by local people in, in this area. It's not as well known really throughout Christchurch as it should be. Um, it's used a lot by school groups. But the main thrust, I guess, of Rickerton Bush Trust has been to, particularly in the last 40 years, has been to restore it to as close to a natural state as possible. And so there's been a full-time ranger living on site with a nursery, and so they, over the years, have planted thousands and thousands of seedlings of native plants sourced in the bush. Really a major effort to get rid of the weeds, because, of course, with gardens surrounding it now, it's in the middle of suburban Christchurch. For a long time, the boundary fence was breached by the neighbours who saw it as their space and, um, and dumped garden rubbish, etc., etc., so weeds were a problem really right from the early days. Um, John Armstrong, the curator at the Botanic Gardens, one of the first curators, did the first plant list here, I think 1878, and there were already exotic weeds in the bush by then. But in the last 20 years, John Moore, who's just retired as ranger here, has been responsible for getting rid of the last of the exotic weeds and some of the native ones. The, um, the North Island lace bark had been planted and, of course, took off. What we have now is the response of the natural seedlings here has helped to suppress weeds. And I think probably yeah, about, by about the 1990s, three-quarters of the weeds that have been present in the 1950s had actually naturally disappeared. Mm. So there's, there's an under-canopy now very there's strong. There's a yeah. very strong under-canopy and also the um, the floor of the forest, which had been extremely bare, um, is now starting to look more like a forest, yes, with um, you know lots of nice uh, leaf litter and seedlings popping up everywhere. And for the last 10 or so years, there's also been a, a pest control fence around uh, yes. the area? Yes. At the time that you know our mainland islands, was, especially the private ones, were starting to be established, the Rickerton Bush Trust did investigate putting a predator-free fence around the bush, but it was going to cost a quarter of a million dollars, so they couldn't afford that. But the Gamma Foundation heard about this and came on board and actually paid for most of it. So the fence went in, I think, in 2004, about then. And initially the predator fence was very effective at keeping all the pests out. But the last few years, uh, there have been the occasional problems with rats. We think they possibly just get in by being dropped by owls that do nest, live ones being dropped by owls, because apparently that does happen. And since the earthquakes, there has been a major problem with feral pigeons who've been displaced from the centre of the city. So there has been a constant campaign of pre-dawn shooting with air rifles <laughs> if pigeons before the grounds are open to the public. And that was Joanna Orwin, author of Rickerton and the Dean's Family, published by Bateman. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. Matewa.